There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have amazing offers available across the new and pre-owned Renault, Dacia and Opel range. And a car finance specialist on site to arrange a finance package that suits your budget. Low APR and zero deposit packages available. See blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to Late Lunch this Thursday afternoon. Great to have you with us on the show again today. Lots of chat coming up over the next couple of hours. I'm back with my Artist of the Week, Shirley Bassey. Great song and more about the Welsh firebrand herself. We'll also be talking to Bobby McCormick. We start a new series on the show today, COVID Through the Eyes of Generations. We're going to talk from children up to whatever age you care to think of, about their perspective on the last 15 months in their lives here in Ireland as COVID gripped the nation. Uh, Sean Coffey is joining us from New York City today. His brother Porrick died tragically and the family are making an appeal again today, 25 years on. And don't forget, if you want to join us on the show, the numbers you need, 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me directly here to studio. Or if you care to call in, it's 1850-715-958. My first guest today is a physical education teacher and transition year coordinator. She's well qualified given she was an Irish international basketball player. She's a busy mum too, who earlier this year joined RTE's homeschool hub team where she's played a blinder in sports parlance. Emer O'Neill has spoken extensively and is an activist working to combat racism and has been developing a course on anti-racism for primary school educators. And I'm delighted to say she's with me on late lunch. Hello, Emer. Hi, wow, that was just a fabulous introduction. Thank you so much. M- much appreciated. Thank you very much. Oh, not at all. Every word of it I mean, and it is is true. And by the way, I better get this out of the way I, I, straight at the start. Sweet, smooth, the Today Show. You were brilliant. <laughs> oh, stop. It was so much fun. Dahi is just one in a million, I have to say. Most down to earth guy I've ever met. And I was so nervous initially, and he just put me totally at ease, and I just had the crack. Honestly, the banter was just unreal mm. it was brilliant it, was, it great. was and I flew home from work here just to make sure I saw you on those days and I uh, can confirm you were great you gelled brilliantly uh, the pair of you well done to you congratulations on that there's more to come from Emer O'Neill watch this space anyway let's have a <laughs> chat with you you grew up in Bray in the 90s and you are of Irish Nigerian extraction the 90s in Bray was it difficult Emer? 
I actually grew up in the 80s. 80s? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I'm, 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 giving you a few, I'm giving you a few years. Go on, go Only on. Only woman in the world that's going to go lower. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm honest. That's one thing good, I'll say. Good, good, good. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, you know what, uh, the 80s, uh, it was it was tough here for a person of colour. It was tough for a mum of a, a white Irish mum that wasn't married um, with a, a, a biracial child. Um, you know, we, we didn't have it very easy, but we, we, we managed and we had support systems, you know, through family and, and things like that. And to be honest, my mum is a Trojan of a woman. And uh, like I would put 99% of the reason why I am who I am and how we made it through um, is on her. Because like I said, she's unbelievable and uh, fabulously strong woman. Um, but I I myself ha- had kind of thoughts about, because I did, I don't know if I, if, if a lot of people don't know me, I suppose too. I, I went to America and I was there for 10 years and um when I got pregnant, I wondered about coming back home and raising a child just because I didn't necessarily want my son to go through some of the things that I did. You know, there mm. is a massive lack of diversity in Ireland, or uh, was anyway in, in the 80s when I was growing up. Um, we're a predominantly white country. We still are. Uh, definitely massive changes in that direction um, as far as diversity, but you don't see it necessarily represented. And that can be very harming um as a child growing up not seeing yourself represented within your school books within your curriculum um in the media on tv and in general you know you don't really think about it if you've never had to think about it Mm. so if you're irish white irish and your kids are white irish and they're always seeing themselves everywhere they go it's just not a topic that you really think of but when you take a step back and imagine like, for instance, like I'm in the supermarket, I'm down in Tesco and I look at a, ra- a rail of 70 different magazines on the cover of every single one, bar one, everybody is white, um, bar one. And it, it might mean anything, but imagine if you were in a, su- in a supermarket and you did the same thing and looked and everybody on the cover was black or a person of colour um, and only one white person, it would make you think, oh, why am not I represented there? But the fact of the matter, that's across the board, whether it's within like the workplace, in like education, in areas that are really important that I think diversity are there for our children to see. Like I never had a teacher of colour growing up my entire life. I was the only person in my school of 800 kids that was a person of colour. And I became a teacher, not because I saw it. I saw somebody be a teacher that was, you know, Nigerian Irish. And then I, I said, I can follow in their footsteps just because... I wanted to and I tried to make that destiny for myself. But we always, you know, find with kids, it's important for them to have mentors and people to look up to. And, you know, they see a a certain girl in sport and say, you know, I can be just like her. But unfortunately for a lot of our biracial kids and black or black Irish um, children, they don't have that for them and so that's why being part of homeschool hub was was so huge for me I, I had a lot of parents reach out to me and say that it was it was amazing for their kids to see somebody that had the same type of hair and the same skin color and um it just it does mean a lot and i think we have a ways to go in ireland to ensure that we're representing you know ireland true ireland and mm. uh, and being inclusive of all, you know, whether like gender included, you know, sexuality, sexual orientation, everything really. And I'm kind of an advocate for all. It's one thing that doing the activist work that I've done 
you know, I've come to speak with people from the traveling community, people from different abilities. Um, and, you know, you know, the, the lack of inclusivity across the board is something that we as a country really need to work on. Yes, it's um, frightening, yeah. isn't it, when you outline yeah. and, and like you started off saying, you know, growing up in Bray, going to that school yourself, you know, 80s, 90s or whatever. And what you're talking about is Ireland today, which yeah. is alarming to hear, to be honest, which yeah. I will say yeah. to you, uh, I I'd have to say that I think people, as you say, black uh, of colour are more visible. I, I can only talk mm. for where I live here in Drogheda yeah. myself hugely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we would have had here in the hospital, uh, with the regional hospital here, you know, many people from many parts of the world coming here from many years ago. So we'd be more open, I think, to it because yeah. of that, you know. But yeah. I, I hear what you're saying. The other thing is, I follow a football club called Drogheda United and it's fantastic to see uh, the black players who are fantastic yeah. coming through the ranks now playing in the League of Ireland that's encouraging isn't it players like it, it, it's it's a game changer for Ireland like if you look at uh, the Olympic teams you see so many um, you know they some may not have even um, been born in Ireland mm. um, but you know they consider themselves Irish and and, yes. and they are Irish you know what I mean at the end of the day um, they've been living here um, for the majority of their life, they may not have necessarily been born here, but as a country, you have to understand that 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 we as a country need to accept everybody, and we are an accepting nation, and um, we have been accepted as people, you know, <laughs> throughout the years, yes. and so it's only it's right that we we return the favor, um, and it's beautiful to see our country become so diverse. I think it only has. It can only bring bring positives to absolutely, um, the absolutely. Country. Look at the international soccer team the other night and absolutely. the impact the young lad made when he came on there at the end. It's fantastic mm. to see. But let me ask you this question: This has been on my mind this morning as I anticipated our conversation. Um, it's still an issue here, obviously. What underpins, in your opinion, racism? Is it ignorance? Is it prejudice? Is it begrudgery? Is it resentment, or a combination of all those, perhaps, and something else? Yeah, I think it would be probably a combination of of all of that. There is a lack of education, and that stems from school. Um, I went through the education system here, just the same as everybody, every other Irish person. And you know, I never, we never really investigated uh, racism or understood it. We did the book To Kill a Mockingbird, but didn't investigate why the the N word is a, a negative word, what it actually really meant, and where it originated from. The um, understanding of and the education of of slavery and why there are there is that animosity between different nationalities and troubles with different countries and i think that is so important to educate our children from an early age mm. and even if a school isn't diverse it doesn't matter you know it, the school should still be inclusive and diverse and intercultural no matter what the demographic of the students yes. in the school because I feel like you're doing them an in-service or an injustice by not um, educating them to understand other cultures to be culturally aware and accepting to feel empathy and understanding towards others and other cultures you know what I mean at the end of the day in the 21st century you're going to um, meet people from other places you might travel yourself you know even like you know your kids and I think without um, doing that groundwork in schools like our curriculum is is not it's not it wasn't created inclusively because mm. at, at the at the time of our of the curric the Irish curriculum um 
our country wasn't that diverse. We have definitely become more diverse as time comes on, but there's a serious review needed kind of of the institutional racism that is in education. Um, we need data on minorities and migrant children and how they are succeeding and on accessing our curriculum because at the end of the day, you know, you have parents, let's say, that might not even have English as a first language. Like, how are schools interacting with them? How is the classroom environment? How are the resources for those kids? Um, and just in general, like, our system and our education system is not designed for ethnic minorities and migrant children. However, we have a massive amount of that population in our yes. country. And so I, I think without making changes to our curriculum and to our education system and the you know training for teachers to be able to understand and um you know interact with students from other cultures and to to be able to prevent and deal with situations of racism in their schools and yes. um, they need those resources they need the training and that's why I think the INTO the it's the Irish National Teachers Organization they decided to make a module, create a module for teachers for primary school level so that they are confident to be able to deal with situations that occur in the school and that they will look at their classroom and see how inclusive is my classroom actually and how inclusive am I being a teacher? And is it one of those things like it's Black History Month, so we'll do loads of stuff based around that? Or we is it the culture of our school? Is it within the veins of our school and that we are intercultural every day and not just for that? month Mm. Um, and that we're addressing situations of racism and calling it what it is it's important like a lot of like schools in the country don't have anti-racism policies and it's something that i myself and a member of my brave for love group and we've been working on it for the last couple of months and so we've we've put a lot of time into it but we've had no resources to be able to take things from the current documents, the current NCCA um, documents to to actually help us devise uh, an anti-racism policy because there is no actual definition of racism yeah. in education in Ireland yet, yeah. which shows how much a need there is for that. Oh, absolutely. Emer, just to picking up where we left off there, you mentioned the education system and the changes yeah. that are needed and, you know, uh, with the many different nationalities and people who've come to live here now, and at part, and are Irish like ourselves, but on the issue of racism from, mm. you know, uh, an element of Irish society, is it again at primary school level where you got to get in and sort yeah. this? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's really, really important. Um, and there are loads of programmes out there to help with that. Um, you know, Olympic Ireland have started a hashtag don't scroll by campaign, which is basically if you see, you know, hate speech and discrimination online that you, you do something about it. Because I think people's response when I speak is always, what can I do to help? Mm. Um, and like you said there, you know, it's it starts with the younger age um, groups and, and they have a, a dare to believe um, program. And if you go to their website, you can actually have an Olympian will contact the primary school or secondary school and will talk to you about different ideals that the uh, Olympics Federation kind of follow through and follow by. And one of those aspects is equality and respect. And we talk about racism within that. So I think it's a fabulous, you know, tool. 
um, and the policy making is a five years tool because also how can you tell kids that they've done something wrong if it's not within a policy a lot of the times you'll see it fall under um, anti-bullying but it's a completely different beast of its own and so that's why I'm so excited to have that policy completed my goal would be that at the end of the year I would have almost every school in the nation to have that policy at hand I want to send it to any school that wants it for free and they can adapt it whatever way to fit you know the needs of their school but just that so that they have somewhere to start they have some kind of framework or skeleton to be able to work from because we don't have anything out there at the moment Um, and I've been doing anti-racism workshops I've reached probably about 3,000 primary school and secondary schools to date um, all via Zoom and and it's been so fantastic it's really opened up my eyes to the positives out there and I honestly I feel particularly with the primary school if they are our future we're in a great place Jerry and it really it just it makes my my heart it fills my heart um and 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 the secondary school level they don't they can't comprehend or understand this idea that someone can be worth more because of the color of their skin their background their heritage or where they are from they feel empathy towards people they understand and they love culture and they want to experience other cultures and they Mm. love that difference they don't see difference as a barrier they see it as a beautiful thing and it's something that i i continue to say and i think we we can learn a lot from the youth of our country the youth of ireland to be honest you know what you're you're a breath of fresh air you really are (laughs) and i just come back to where you said the start that we started talking as well and you began by saying that we need diversity diversity in life and society and jobs and education and in the media and this game that you and i are in as well by god we need it here too and it has to be tackled but look keep doing what you're doing uh, because uh, you know this is what it's all about the new ireland emerging you know so diverse so different so brilliant and uh, really the world is our oyster i have to say if there's anybody out there that does want anti-racism um you know workshops or information on the i report system to report and uh, to report racist um incidents that you see or any kind of information or anything that i've talked about please reach out to me i'm i'm on instagram it's probably the best way to to get me and it's emer o'neill 14 i always respond because i'm passionate about this and so any any guidance that i can give to anybody i'm here and i'm here as a friend support whatever you need you're great and we'll talk again i'm sure emer o'neill 14 reach out to this wonderful lady best wishes to you take care Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Not at all. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Emer O'Neill. And I endorse and uh, support every word she said. Late lunch, LMFM Radio. I want you to have a listen to this. Garthy have named the young man who died in a hit and run in County Meath in the early hours of yesterday morning. 18-year-old Porrick Coffey from Rathcarn was walking home from a disco when he was knocked down on the Dunderry Road outside Athboy between 2.30am and 3am. He was discovered by a local couple who found him lying on the road. Porrick was transferred to hospital where he was pronounced dead a short time later. Garthy are appealing for anyone with information to contact Kells Garda Station. That's from our news here on LMFM Radio. Really sad news. On the 9th of June 1996, 25 years ago yesterday, yes, Porrick Coffey lost his life in a hit-and-run incident and the case is still open. Nobody has been identified as the driver of the car. I'm joined on Late Lunch today by Porrick's brother, Sean Coffey from New York City. Hello, Sean. 
How's it going? Thank you very much for joining me on the show today. 25 years this year. Just to go back to that uh, tragic time, yourself, your sister and another brother, you were all in New York at the time. Yeah, we were. I came to New York in 94. My brother came the year after. and About six months before Park died, my sister Katrina was here. OK, there's a shocking hum in the background there with you. You don't know what that is. No, just I just can't hear <laughs> there's, there's concrete trucks, sorry. Oh, that's all right. Great, great, great. Anyway, that's much better. Thanks, uh, thanks, Sean. Um, but, Sean, anyway, there were three of you there at the time. I'm sure you'll never forget uh, uh, receiving the news. It was a, a message, was it, on the answering machine? Yeah, it was a message in the answer machine. Obviously, Park was killed in, you know, three o'clock in the morning. It would have been Sunday morning. And uh, we were out that night and uh, came home and there was a message on the answer machine from my dad, which, to be honest, I didn't really, couldn't make out what he was saying, but it was obviously uh, something bad. So, yeah, that's how we found out. 25 years on and uh, still no news or no leads in the case. Um... They're, they're, how will I put this? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there there were a lot of investigations done. There were a lot of people interviewed. There were a lot of people um, maybe suspected, for want of a better word. And uh, no, nothing final so far. We, we, we've been waiting for 25 years for a definitive answer, and we haven't had that yet. So you're appealing again now, 25 years on. What do you want to say? You're live with us here on LMFM Radio today. What would you like to say at this time? Well, I mean, 25 years have passed. It's been a very, very tough time for the family, especially my parents. Nobody expects to lose a, a son. And um, we, uh, we've we been close in the past to figuring out what's happened, but it's not come to a conclusion. My hope is, given the significance of a 25-year anniversary, is that um, with time having passed and uh, people's uh, opinions changing, um, their conscience may be getting to them that perhaps um, we can, people will be more willing to talk. Um, we we do know for a fact that um, that the, 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 there are people out there that did this, or there are at least one person, and that other people are complicit in it. And we want to uh, just wake people's conscience to see what happens. So, yeah, so you're asking again today with a quarter of a century, 25 years gone, if there's anyone, any information or it's maybe on somebody's mind or conscience that at this time they may consider coming forward. It would mean so much, wouldn't it, to you, your family? Uh, it would, of course, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, un- un- unanswered questions. Um, there are a lot of, to be honest with you, there have been a lot of mistakes made uh, over the past 25 years in the investigation to this crime, for want of a better word. And, um, you know, without dishing out blame or anything like that, uh, you know, there were there were issues with the investigation initially. Um, there were problems with a detective that was involved in it um, that uh, subsequently... Um, passed away was found to be actually not a very good person and uh, we we believe that uh, the people that were involved also knew um, certain guards or pulled certain strings or made um, arrangements for this to go away um, there were there was a when Porrick was killed um, after he had two autopsies but on the second autopsy they found a fragment of um, a pin chip in, in, in his head and that fragment of paint chip was, was traced 
with the technology at the time to a specific um, colour and a part of the car, which was believed to be either a bumper or a wing mirror. And afterwards, um, a car matching the same description um, was found to have disappeared. Um, it, it was made go away. And the guards knew this. Um, the guards followed up on it. But for whatever reason, they weren't able to gather enough ev- evidence to, um, to make a, a conviction. So, so you you are, are unhappy about that aspect of things, but we do have to say that, uh, in fairness to the Guardi and the investigating people, it still is, I take it, a live case, and they do their very best to pursue to the nth degree an investigation to try and, you know, uh, bring resolution to it. I just want to say that in defence of them at this time, but I hear what you're saying. I do hear what you're saying. I want to be... I want to be very clear that I, that I'm not knocking the guard yes, at yes. this point. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's they, that's they, important to say. Yes, it is, and and I, I'm I'm just trying to, to be honest with you, a lot of people know the in the vicinity know the background of yeah. the crime, the investigation. They talk about, it, they're aware of it. So I'm only saying these things um, just to bring them out in the open to the people that it's relevant to. Yes. Um, it, it's so they're they're like I said, there were mistakes made, and I, I don't necessarily knock knock anyone for that. But there are ideas, um, and there are obviously people that know. Yeah. And we want to we want to put an end to it. Yeah. I, I look, and and I, I I understand fully what you're saying. Let's hear, uh, as you know, I uh, did a series uh, back in 2018 called Every Road is a Cross to Bear. And uh, Sean, uh, your brother, uh, your brother, Sean Porrick, uh, was one of the subjects of that uh, series. And I visited the spot where he lost his life and I spoke to your mum, Judy. And I just want to remind uh, listeners what she had to say to me. That if we got closure, I think that that would, it would, we would let, be able to carry on and let Park rest in peace. And I, I know that there are people out there in our uh, neighbourhood that know who killed Park, and uh, we just, I just appeal to them to find the courage to come forward. And, you know, put us out of our pain or whatever you would like to call it. Yes, that's your mammy there. And you can just imagine how all these years later that pain still exists deeply uh, within our heart, making that appeal and a relevant uh, appeal it is today. Uh, am I right in saying you have a son that you named after your late brother Porrick? Oh, I do, yeah, and uh, it's kind of ironic that, uh, um, so my brother Park was born on the 29th of March, 78. My son was born on March 27th, uh, 2003. So he was actually, on this past Monday, he was the exact same age to the day that my brother was when he was killed. Oh my, such an irony it is, such an irony it is, it really is. Um Look, it's a time that live with you and and will live with you forever. But it is appropriate that on this 25th anniversary, the day after it was yesterday, of course, that you make this appeal again. And hopefully it will 
you know, shake something from the trees, a consciousness will be pricked or somebody will say something or come forward to bring closure to uh, the Coffee family is all they're looking for, to know what happened on that night and who was driving behind the wheel of that particular uh, vehicle. Um, you're, you're obviously working away there uh, in New York City. You're there a long time now, Sean. I'm here 27 years this year. You're one of the locals. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> they, still, they still don't understand me. <laughs> no, well, you're still, you just think that you left yesterday, to be honest with you. You've never got the twang or anything. You still have the, the local accent, which is, is great to hear. Do you mind me asking, what do you do there? You mentioned a lorry there a moment ago. Yeah, I'm an engineer, a civil engineer. Oh, you're a civil engineer there. Okay, great stuff. So a lot of building work going on in New York at the minute. Yeah. Yeah, it's very busy at the moment. I was trying to find a quiet spot to do this, but I obviously didn't succeed. Oh, no, listen, apart from the beginning there, it's been absolutely fine. Uh, there's no bother with that. It's been really clear talking to you. The other thing is, just uh, while, while you're with me, COVID and vaccinations, and is the city opening up uh, back to normality again? It is, yeah. They're, they're, you know, the restaurants and bars have been open for a while. They're, they've staged uh, their, their capacity levels, so they're back up to about 80% now. People, you know, there's a high level of vaccination in this city anyway. Uh, maybe in other parts of the country, not so much. But, um, yeah, it's, it's slowly coming together. We had a holiday weekend there last weekend, which kind of brought a bit of normality back to things. And you can, you can, see, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, that's good to hear. It, it really is. Anyway, look, uh, Sean, I appreciate you joining me to, today on the show. The June the 9th, the early hours, uh, 1996, 25 years ago. Any information would be appreciated. The easiest way is to contact your local Garda station. The confidential line is there as well. You can call. But look, we remember him, uh, Porrick Coffee again, 25 years on. And I say it, and I've said it a few times on this show, I do hope that eventually you get the information needed and that closure is brought to your family. Sean, take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Appreciate your assistance. Not at all. Bye-bye. That's Sean Coffey speaking to me there from New York City. And uh, I remember that day well in 2018, meeting Judy, Porrick's mom at the little cross on the road. Uh, where Porrick lost his life. And it must be shocking. I, I say this again, it is. It must be everyone's worst nightmare. Two things. To lose a family member in tragic circumstances, especially a young person. They were out enjoying themselves that night in a disco. He was on his way home. And secondly, you know, not to know. No closure. Not to know what actually happened. And you know, I say it here again. Somebody, perhaps even listening today, was driving that car. They know that they were the driver of that car. And I just say, how can you live with such on your conscience for even a day, never mind 25 years? How can you go round with something like that on your mind? I couldn't. I'd have to. I'd have to come clean. Very soon, back then, when something like that happened, immediately. And I'm sure most people would. But for the Coffee family, we remember them today, and Judy especially, who I met on the the side of the road there. I do hope that somebody, 25 years later, has the guts and the wherewithal to now come forward and bring closure. Let's hope that happens. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio, back with you in a moment. I love the song. 
Westlife, Uptown Girl. Really love the original. Mr. Billy Joel, of course. Ah, it's an uplifter, isn't it? On this uh, Thursday afternoon. Louise, did you see that wee story about the 20th Mead Cubs? Uh, they're great. I want to give them a shout out on the show today. They, they've they been growing plants, right, as part of the, the Cubs, uh, the scouting thing. Mm. And they delivered them to St. Elizabeth's and Mulberry Nursing Homes. And the residents there were thrilled. Isn't ah, that lovely? lovely. Yeah. Oh my God, a little piece of happiness delivered by the 20 at Mead Cubs uh, to people in the, the homes there. And it really was so appreciated uh, by everybody. And it's great they can now, can they get in now or do they just, is there still very much restrictions um, in the nursing homes? Do they have to leave them at the doors? or? I know they've allowed visiting. I think they handed them in at the doors, you know oh, what I mean? Okay. And they were accepted there and brought in and very grateful for them. I'd, I'd say there's still, you know, Can't still care yeah. being taken. There certainly is. But I, I just wanted to give them a shout out today. Well done. A lovely, lovely gesture. Um, what about tonight? The first live gig, James Vincent McMorrow. Local man, is he? Well, I'll tell you about James Vincent McMorrow. He joined me here on Late Lunch many moons ago when he was domiciled. His dad lives in Termin Fekin. And uh, he was in the house there uh, writing his first album. And I remember he came in here and spoke to me about, you know, uh, holding up there and the inspirations he got and look at him now. He was here when it, before he was ever known. He sat in this studio with me. could you see greatness in him? Oh, uh, you know something? Yes, that's the one thing. You could see that this fella was onto something. He's huge now. You know that? He's huge, this fella, mm-hmm. worldwide now. He is. We'll have to invite him back. So he'd hardly... Can't say no. Hardly remember us here even on Late Lunch. Would he, James Vincent? Would he remember us? I wonder what he had all. I must try and dig out if I can find the interview at all. But anyway, we wish him well. He'll He's cycle around Terman Fackley and look for his dad. <laughs> That's your job this evening. <laughs> Get on your bike. Anyway, um, we want to wish him well tonight at the Ivy Gardens. 500 people going to be at the gig. It's a pilot gig. It's the first of them. But it's great to see. It's another little... little Step in the right direction. Yes, it is. And uh, that's coming up uh, this evening. Uh, Adrian Hillman, our good friend Adrian, was on to me. Did you see the picture he sent me this morning? I don't know whether I popped it on to you. He says, the tar man, the tar okay. men, the tar men love their shredded wheat. <laughs> And he was had, in gusto for the day. Jerry. Yeah, he was ready. They were having, they were getting organised for that breakfast before they dug in. Yes, thank you, Adrian. Really enjoyed the message today. We were Many talking. potholes did they fill with tarsons? <clears throat> A lot. Those <laughs> boys, I'll tell you, them boys work. They certainly do. Anyway, shredded wheat for the tar men. And um, uh, the Wednesday Club reconvened last evening, Louise, after... A huge interlude. Yes, you know, I've often mentioned before, I enjoy my Wednesday, uh, a little tipple with the guys, friends of mine from years and years. And we get together and sure with uh, COVID, it was knocked on the head. Anyway, we had a quorum. We hadn't the full Wednesday crew for particular reasons, but we had a quorum last night and I enjoyed. I so enjoyed Louise. Were you nervous going down after such a long time? Uh, we just, it's like riding a bike. <laughs> Away we went. <laughs> We know how to raise the elbow, you know what I mean? As long as you're not on the bike, so. (laughs) We walked down and walked back and it was outdoors and well-spaced and there weren't many people there and we enjoyed the evening's conversation. It was a nice evening. Yeah, it was a lovely evening. It's lovely and mild. um, If it was raining... Cover, cover, I cover, cover overhead, yeah, there was indeed. But uh, it was nice to get back and another personal step forward as well, uh, back to a sense of normality. I see Celtic have appointed a new manager. I know, Louise, you, you, 
you're you're not particularly into Celtic, are you? Your soccer. That anyway, Adrian Hillman would. Uh, Ange Postacoglu is the new. Would he be new. happy? Would Adrian be happy? I'd say. It's a roll of the dice. Do you know what I mean? But it's if you a send him over some shredded wheat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea, Adrian, if you're listening. Shredded wheat for the new manager and the team, the Celtic team needed, needed after last year. Anyway, this guy, uh, you see, they thought Eddie Howe was going to be their new manager. He was manager of Bournemouth. God knows what happened there. Anyway, it didn't happen. This fella is from Australia. You know, first big, big coaching job for an Australian manager. He managed the Australian national team, did well in Australia and has just won the, the league in 2019 in Japan. Um, so he, he's 55 years of age. He's experienced, but he doesn't know Glasgow. <laughs> he's going to know it very soon, mm-hmm. I can tell you, uh, between the green and the blue over there. But he takes charge anyway of Celtic. And I'd say it's a... It's a mixed reception. They don't know what to make of him. I'd say a lot of Celtic fans hope he's like Arsene Wenger, who was unknown when he came to Arsenal from Japan. So they'd be looking for a repeat of that. Um, They've given him a 12-month rolling contract. So he's there for a year and they'll roll it on, seeing how he's doing. Uh, But anyway, we wish him well. And he's a big job on his hands to try and knock Rangers now off their pedestal uh, in Glasgow. Who's managing Rangers at the minute? Steven Gerrard. Oh, I knew it was somebody. The uh, former Liverpool player is the manager at Rangers. Another guy who um, may be looking else. You never know. I'd say he did well last year. So I I wouldn't be surprised to see him move to England to uh, take on a job there be that now or um, maybe in a year's time or something like that anyway but uh, anyway Celtic have their man after weeks and weeks of searching Ange uh, Postacoglu is the uh, new manager of Celtic uh, Colm had it there on the news a little earlier on on the sports news and one other thing for you Denmark uh, you won't have to wear the mask uh, at all they're, they're starting to phase out the, we- the wearing of the face mask in Denmark mm. uh, gradually now over the coming weeks and months so there buy you go buy some lipstick then ah oh, Louise <laughs> you know I was just I, I was saying that with the mask I'm brutal cover a multitude I, I wouldn't know anybody Yeah, you know what I mean I walk by people it's who like I Halloween sh- all year round <laughs> It's <laughs> been Halloween for 15 months but God almighty won't it be just great to not have to wear the mask again. It really, really will. I think especially for students, it must be so hard to try and study with that on your face mm. constantly. It's a devil. It's a devil Horrible. in so many circumstances, you know, having to work with it. Look at hospitality at the minute. Where we were last night, everybody there serving you, looking after you, were wearing masks on that as well. You know, that's part and parcel of, of the regime here Imagine at the if minute. if we had a heat wave, the humidity. Oh, well, you're, I'll that. tell you at the minute, you can feel the heat at yeah. the minute. It's very humid. It really, really is. And it's even more difficult wearing them. But good news from the Danes who've been very successful. Do we know anybody in Denmark? Denmark? I do. I met a couple from Denmark one time. I was away away on a European soccer match with Drogheda. That's many moons ago. And we met a a couple from Denmark and they invited me to go over there to to, to visit them. We had a great time with them. Copenhagen. Copenhagen is where they're from. And I'll tell you, uh, (laughs) when they were with us Irish, they thought they knew how to enjoy themselves. (laughs) We showed them a thing or two. (laughs) I'd say they were like 
<laughs> Even having a drink over there is so expensive, or mm. it was anyway. We met them. Where were we? Were we in um, Tallinn? Yeah, in Estonia, we met them in Tallinn, and a good value there was there at the time. <laughs> anyway, we have a contact. I must look them up in uh, Denmark. <laughs> they answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're still recovering. <laughs> All these years later, late lunch FM radio after the break, we're beginning a new series because we want to reflect on the last year or more through the eyes of the different generations. We're going to talk to a child, a teenager, someone in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and so on up to get their perspective on what life has been like for them through COVID. First up in our new series, Bobby McCormick joins us next. We begin a new feature on Late Lunch today, which is going to run over the coming weeks. It's called COVID Through the Ages. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk to people of an age, of different ages. As I mentioned, we're going to talk to a child, a teenager in their 20s and so on up uh, through the decades to find out how this last year to 15 months has been for them. We start in the 40s today. I know he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure I'm right with Bobby McCormick from Development Perspectives. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Jerry. how's things? And, and unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your view, you're right. 40s it is. <laughs> Aren't you a lucky man to be uh, talking about <laughs> uh, life in the 40s? Anyway, Bobby, thank you for being our first uh, to feature on COVID through the ages. Can I go right back to the beginning? And who will ever forget the night that Leo Varadkar stood on the steps of the White House in New York and told us, that the country was closing down. What were your feelings around that time? Can you remember? Yeah, I can remember it pretty vividly, actually. We, we were in work. There was quite a few of us in the office. And uh, and actually, a few people got a little bit upset, you know, actually hearing it. It was one of those moments that I think most people who listened into that will remember where they were and what they were doing. I think there was a sense that, that it was something big that was emerging. Um, and yeah, so in the office with colleagues and, and just wondering what lay ahead and, and trying to put in place plans really quickly for for changing how we operated. You know? Did you expect at that stage that we would be in the lockdown for so long and that we would be back in it again and again and that life would be so restricted? Was that evident to you, Bobby? <laughs> No, not at all. I mean, the the extent of it, I think, um, certainly wasn't envisaged. I mean, certainly in the first week or two, you know, I, I was kind of trying to plan for things maybe in June or July, you know, you know, thinking that that would be worst case scenario. Um, but I think very quickly it emerged, you know, that things were different and it was way more severe than than most of us would have imagined. Um, and and then by by around May time, you know, May or June, I think that that was a period when we thought, you know, we're in this for a much longer haul than we originally had hoped for. Mm. Now, impacts on your life. You mentioned work there straight away. What did that mean to you? How did that change? It changed dramatically, really. You know, I mean, our work is involved in in education, so we we work with people across Ireland, but also across the world. So we. We had plans to work with um, project partners in Vietnam and Tanzania and Liberia uh, last year. And, and very quickly into that, we realized we couldn't and a lot of our plans needed to change. But like a lot of organizations, though, the online world quickly emerged as as a replacement. And that wasn't necessarily always good. You know, like an awful lot of the groups that we would access and, and work with, if you like, they might be the most marginalized in society. 
And so, so they didn't have access to broadband and they didn't have access to the, to the things that we take for granted, like, like this Zoom call. Um, so, so a lot of the groups that we'd work with, we couldn't work with any longer. And, but then in fairness, a lot of the other groups that we worked with, we were able to continue using technology, which was fantastic. I won't uh, minimize the importance that technology played, but it certainly wasn't a, you know, a silver bullet. It didn't solve everything. So from your perspective, then you mentioned the office and colleagues. Did you revert to the homeworking situation on a personal basis? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially everybody um, reverted to working from home. So, you know, the office was essentially closed. I mean, with the exception of going in for for post and, and the odd call that might have been really important. I mean, where I live in, in Mosney, uh, just out the road from Drogheda, really, like the internet is very patchy. So so even those types of issues, you know, working from home wasn't always easy for people. Um, there was a lot of issues that different staff members had you know, in being at home, some of them have young families, some of them are carers, you know, so some of their situations made it more difficult for some rather than others. But essentially, we all worked from home for, for the majority of last year, really. Do you see that as being the new normal now, Bobby, that it'll never go back to what it once was? I think it'll be mixed. I, I, I really do think that there's a, a lot of people that have a desire to continue to at least work part time from home or at least closer to home. So I think, you know, hubs will emerge in, in smaller towns around the country that will enable people to cut down on on the commutes that a lot were involved in in going to Cork, Galway, Dublin. I mean, especially in the East Coast, of course, Dublin would be a big magnet for people. So I do think that things will change. Will, will it, you know, be a case that it's changed for everyone? I don't think so. I think that gradually we will see a return to work for, for a large percentage um, of the population. But I, I do think that, you know, there will be a percentage that will want it to remain somewhat similar to what it is now. Yes, uh, watch this space with this one, but uh, a huge plus there. One of the benefits if commuting is cut down on. What about in terms of family and social life? How did that pan out for you? How, how restricting did you find it? What did you miss most? Well, I think that that was probably the area that I probably struggled most with, truth be told. I mean, my own mum was in a, a nursing home. She was in a wonderful nursing home, Gormanstown Wood Nursing Home. But she passed away during COVID. No, not from COVID, but during that time. And and I found that really difficult when she was in the nursing home. So from March up until October when she died, that, that was a very difficult period in, in terms of going to, I, I would have went to the nursing home, Jerry, every day. You know, it would have, it would have been part of my routine. I'd, I'd leave work, I'd go home and on my way home, I'd pop in for maybe an hour, you know, have a cup of tea with Septa and, and just really kind of relax with her and, and just check in with her. But but from the, the, the kind of that announcement that Leo made right up until, you know, essentially the, the few weeks before she died, things changed dramatically. So you ended up, you know, going to the nursing home and trying to talk to people through windows. And, and of course, Septa and many that were in the home didn't understand why you couldn't go in. You know, they just, you know, they didn't realize maybe to the extent of what was happening around them. And even the way they were being treated by staff had changed. You know, staff were now wearing PPE gear. You know, they they obviously had to behave in a particular way. They weren't going in and out of the rooms as often. So so that whole thing really changed. And, and it was so bizarre. I found that the most surreal part of the whole COVID period, because it went from being a very kind of warm interpersonal space to being something so clinical and now, and that's not to say that I understand completely the reasons why all of that happened but 
but, but there was a, a level of inhumanity to it as well that I, I still find it difficult to wrap my head around. Your greatest loss, it goes without saying, to lose your mum's scepter. And then, of course, when she did pass away, the restrictions in celebrating her life. Yeah, yeah, no, indeed. And, and I mean, again, everyone that we worked with from, you know, Townley's funeral home to the priest, you know, and like they were all fantastic and they were so kind of, you know, flexible in the way that they worked with us. But at the same time, you couldn't help but feel that there were so many people missing from that that kind of threshold point you know and it's such a it is such a threshold point you're going from you know one thing to another and and to be able to share that with people that would have known Septa and of course I would have got a lot of cards and phone calls and emails and 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 that was wonderful and I'm not in any way you know underestimating the importance of that but it still doesn't replace that hug or that touch with people and and that kind of sharing and reminiscing and celebrating of, of someone's life um, and so so that element of things yeah again it was it was such a, a kind of a a different thing than I would have imagined, you know. For sure. When you look on the time, did you gain anything? I think I was reminded of lots of things. Um, you know, I, I, like I love the outdoors. I, I, I couldn't help but listening to your discussion earlier on. And, you know, you're referring to different things that would be part of your normal. Same for me. You know, I love football. I love catching up with friends. You know, I love going for a cycle. So I, 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 I never took those things for granted, but I, I did have a chance to kind of embrace them a little bit more. Um, so I spent more time cycling. I spent more time walking the dogs. The poor dogs, you know, for the first couple of months, they, their legs were walked off them. Um, I think that they wanted to go and strike really at some stages. They just had enough of me, you know. But, but, but I do think that, you know, I remember at that time hearing people say, oh, you know, you know, we appreciate things differently. And, and I find, I, I still find that again, a little bit strange that it's almost as if these really valuable things we, we, we do take for granted a little. And, and I can see us slipping back into that very quickly. I'm delighted to see so many more people cycling, walking, running, going to the beach, kayaking. I, I'd love to see all of that. But I just, I hope that some of that continues. You know, I, I really do hope that a lot of those types of habits um, are here for a little bit longer. Mm. I, I know and I have known since I met you over the years, you have a wonderful perspective on life and you care deeply about this planet that we live on and the people who inhabit it from every uh, angle and every different diverse culture and nationality and race in the world. You are so open to that. Has it changed your perspective at all on life? It definitely has challenged certain views that I would have. I mean, I think one of the the kind of the downsides, but again, it wasn't necessarily unpredictable. But I do think the online world uh, reflected a, a vein of 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 almost anger at times of of you know part of the population, a kind of a pushback. I think to many things, and we saw during COVID so many really troubling things. You know we're seeing it around things like racism and we're seeing it around things like, you know, football matches and stuff. And, and I do think that there's a kind of a, a skepticism that's very worrying. We, we see kind of some moves to the far right that, that I think is troubling. And I, and I think in a, in a sad way, COVID was used as cover as an opportunity for, for many groups to store things up a little bit for their own reasons and, and interest that had nothing got to do with COVID, but it presented people who were in a, a, a kind of vulnerable time and place an opportunity to, to grab onto things and, um, 
that were really just, you know, myths. They were just, you know, conspiracy theories. But but they gave people sucker and sustenance. And, you know, I suppose psychologically there's reason reasonings for that. But but I do hope that um yeah, that the, the kind of I hope I hope social capital isn't broken down too much. That glue that holds communities together, like we saw so often on things like the Late Late Show and and many other moments where communities did wonderful things. You know, uh, reaching out to to people who are you know vulnerable in their communities, and that's that's the good side. But I think to every story, there's a dark side too, and that dark side is alive and well, sadly. There you are, another perspective on uh, this last 15 months as well. Bobby, look, it's great to hear your perspective uh, from someone in their 40s on this last year to 15 months, COVID through the ages. Thank you so much for joining me, Bobby, and I know we'll be back to you in a couple of weeks again because you're onto something new and exciting and we're going to be talking about that too. But for the moment, Bobby McCormick, thank you so much. Cheers, Jerry. I was speaking with Emer O'Neill, top of the show, wonderful lady. Uh, what about reverse racism, says Ella today. I know of a Polish girl who was bullied by a black boy and uh, when they looked at the CCTV, it was proved that the Polish girl was victimised. Nothing was done. Uh, there is reverse racism. Uh, and you know what I, I'll say to that, Ella, is all racism is wrong. No matter what way it is meted out by somebody to somebody else. Racism is wrong, no matter against a person's colour, their creed, their nationality. And it can work both ways. Of course it can. Thank you for the message. Afternoon, Jerry. Lord of mercy on young coffee, pouring coffee. We were speaking to his brother, Sean, from New York earlier on. Uh, will we ever find out what happened? Could the culprit be even with us any anymore, uh, says Eamon. And, of course, he said he remembers the case well. And uh, don't forget young Keith Byrne in, in Loud Village, who died in similar circumstances, and nobody has ever been charged with that one. Please, God, they'll be found and brought to justice, says Eamon. And another one on my interview with Sean Cuff, Coffee, uh, somebody else who remembers it well and he understands the Coffee fa- pro- family's problem with the Gardaí and they go on to say that, you know, they feel that as uh, people come to the end of their careers, they lose a bit of interest. You could say that to any career or any job, n- not alone the Gardaí and uh, the listener wanted to say that Drew Harris is doing a great job but has still a lot of work to do. Thanks to you for your comments. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text directly to me here on the show. Now, my artist of the week this week is Shirley Bassey. And Shirley's association with James Bond, I spoke about it yesterday. It's unique. But did you know this? She recorded an album of James Bond theme songs in 1987. But she decided... It wasn't good enough. She wasn't happy at all and she didn't release it. But five years later, it was released against her wishes. She went to court, she did, and sued and won and all unsold copies had to be withdrawn from sale. I was just thinking, well, if you had a copy of that album, it could be pretty special. But there you go. She wasn't happy. Oh, I'd say she's a perfectionist. In 1998, she performed the song for the Rugby World Cup, The World in Union, our wonderful song, uh, along with Bryn Terfel in uh, Cardiff at the opening ceremony of the Rugby World Cup, an unforgettable occasion. 
Then through 2000 and into the next decade, Shirley continued to perform and record as she moved through her 70s and into her 80s. She's marvellous. The BBC even dramatised her life in 2011 with Irish actress Ruth Negga playing Bassie in Shirley, as it was called. In 2016, Shirley was named as one of the 50 50 greatest Welsh people of all time. And indeed, but for the pandemic, in the early spring of 2020, she had a number of projects in the pipeline. Forever young at 84, here she is. Miss Shirley Bassey and Something. Originally recorded by the Beatles in 1969, written by the... Wonderful George Harrison, but Shirley recorded it a year later for an album of the same name, something, and it was an even bigger hit for Shirley Bassey. Some interpretation of the song really is. Anyway, we conclude Shirley's story on Late Lunch tomorrow at the same time with another song and more about the woman herself. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Thursday afternoon. After the break, I was listening to Michael there on news uh, and uh, reaction from outside Dáil Éireann where a number of people from Navin are sleeping rough for five nights and it's all for Nihan. Yes, little Nihan uh, needs urgent care in the United States. It's going to cost 375000 and the guys are out there highlighting his plight and hoping to hit that target sooner rather than later and we're going to be going to the gates of Dáil Éireann shortly and we'll also have a quick word with Nihan's mum Nihan Khan is five years of age from Navan in County Meath and he has a rare form of cancer and his treatment in this country is coming to an end so the family now have looked elsewhere in the world and there is a fantastic opportunity and hope in the United States. There's a, a rough sleeping uh, outside the doll happening at the moment by a number of people, friends of the family from Navid, and it really has caught uh, the public's attention. So we're going to talk about it to finish out on late lunch today. I want to say hello first to his mam, Ravina. Hello, Ravina. Hello. How are you? How are you today? And uh, may I say to you, uh, what great people and friends you have that are uh, up in Dublin working on your behalf. Tell us about uh, Nihan and his treatment here. It's almost at a finish. Yeah, it's actually he's on immunotherapy at the moment. There are five cycles altogether and he just finished his third one. So there are two more left, but they still gave us like 20 days in between. So it's going to go till August, his treatment in Ireland. And he actually did uh, chemotherapy, nine chemotherapies, and then he did stem cell transplant. Then we went to Germany for his radiation because his tumor was behind his heart, and it was better to go to Germany for that. And uh, now he's having his immunotherapy, and this is the last part in Ireland for him. And now, America offers the hope. Uh, New York, tell us what's available there and what you're hoping to do. Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's the, the cancer is called neuroblastoma and Nyan has stage four. So it is uh, really, really aggressive and it, it comes back, you know, it, it has a high chance of it coming back. And as the doctor told us, you know, two out of three kids, they relapse and there's nothing they can do in Ireland for that. Uh, since he was diagnosed, I've been looking up Google and asking parents and everything. So I found a few things that are not here, but they're in America that prevent relapse, and that's what we want. 
So we came across a vaccine, and it's really popular now. And there's so many kids I know that have gone from Ireland to do that as well. And uh, it's called bivalent vaccine. It's a clinical trial, and it's in MSK Cancer Center in USA. So we're trying to fundraise for that uh, vaccine. It's it's going to, uh, you know, make his immune system uh, to target the cancers, the remaining cancer cells, so that it doesn't come back, and that's what we want. We want our son to be cancer-free, and we don't want him to be fighting this for whole his life, you know, coming back and then again some treatment and coming back. So we just wanted to stop and wanted to stop once once on for all. Like yeah. he just he just fights it and it's done, and we can you know yes. uh, and we the- can have a healthy life ahead. Yes, and of course this is what you want to happen for your son. And it is a clinical trial, but the results have been really good and really positive. Yeah. And it is the yeah. first vaccine against yeah. uh, you yeah. know, childhood tumours and yeah. cancer. Yeah, there's so many other things as well in America. There's GFMO and other kind of medicines that say that they prevent illness. But we've chosen a vaccine because of the science, uh, science behind it. You know, it, it, mm. it looks really promising. And uh, they're saying like it's going to be a breakthrough and it's going to be really, you know, in the coming years, it's going to be a really big thing. Um, So that's why we want to try and we're going to try everything we can. So we don't want to regret it. Yes. You know, afterwards, yeah. Of course you are, and that's a uh, wonderful credit to you. Just stay with me there a moment, because uh, Jack Deschamps is in Dublin, outside Dáil Éireann, rough sleeping, yeah. along with Joseph Garvey and Ross Kniff. Hello, Jack. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. How is it going there? Are you, are you feeling the, the wear and tear of being outdoors? Actually, you're getting nice weather to be outdoors nighttime, aren't you? We're having a fantastic time. We're not. We're not going to joke and lie about it. You know, um, you probably people thinking it's it's the big difficult task. But I mean, we, well, obviously not putting down the, the the homeless side of things. But I mean, we are actually enjoying ourselves in in the the process of of making this awareness for Nyan and and the campaign. Five nights you're doing the seventh to the eleventh, so you've one more to go tomorrow, uh, and it, it certainly brought focus. You must be very pleased. Absolutely. Um, I mean, the whole idea since we came out here on, on Monday night was to raise as much noise as we could nationally because we, we want to make this as, as, as uh, easy of a process for, for uh, Ravia and for Naveed and for, for Nyan to get over to New York and get the funds that they really require to, to get the treatment that they need, you know. Um, and you mean, we've been here the first day we were here, the fir- first full day we came across Ryan Tuberty. He was getting involved. He's taking a video, and he's encouraged that he's going to get involved further. You know, we had uh, Shane Castles. We've had Damien English. And we've had TG Carr here today. And we've also had um, someone with uh, 98FM and the whole shebang. So it's, it's really it's starting to take off by the looks of it. Um, and we just want to keep pushing and keep encouraging people to keep sharing, donating, and getting onto GoFundMe and just getting the name out there about uh, Nyan's story, you know. You're heading for what, 90,000 uh, roundabout at the moment? We're in and around that. And then we also, um, last Saturday, ran a French triathlon event um, where we ran, managed to raise about 12,000 euro. So that'll be added on on top of that as well. So we're, we're just in and around, yeah, we're, we're up at around the 100,000 mark, almost.
Great. That, with that 12, yeah, added on to yeah. what's uh, there and coming in as we speak. Well done to you. So 375 is the target. You're determined to keep going till you hit the, hit the money target. The idea is because it's a high five for nine campaign that we're doing the five nights of um, rough sleeping. But again, we are going to be pushing this as much as we can to make as much noise as we can for the foreseeable future until hopefully the guys get the, the funds that they need to, to help Nyan. Um, I mean, we are, we are happy to do this. We are absolutely delighted to be involved in anything that we can do. You're great people. You, you, you really are. And uh, night time, what's it like there? You know what I mean? Out on the streets. Does the city ever sleep? Is there always somebody going by or the one you stay awake and the others catch a 40 winks? How does it work? We've had a few funny experiences. We'll, we'll say that much. Um, but I mean, no, everything's safe. The guards have been very good to us up outside the door here on Kildare Street. They've, um, they've, they've watched us on the cameras. They've been coming out and keeping an eye on us, having a chat with us. Um, everyone that goes by, we had a taxi group yesterday stopping by to make sure we're all okay, saying if we ever needed anything, you know, we're a call away. But they'll, they'll drop up food, drink, security if needs be, everything, you know. Um, it's, it's, been, it's just been overall fantastic to see, just, not just the community from Navin and me, but just nationally coming out of there, coming into the, to our capital city that everyone wants to help out and get involved. Oh, fantastic. And uh, Ravia, you're obviously so grateful to these men. Yeah. Yes, we are so thankful. I, I tell them every day, you know, and we didn't want to, we didn't want them to do this for us, but they've been really persistent and they told us, you know, they will because they've been really supporting Nyan since the beginning and they've done a, a soldier race as well that Nyan loved so much and they just want to make him happy and they just want to, you know, make us stress-free. And they've been doing that, and we're really, really trying. Thankful to them and all the community that that is helping us. You know, yeah. now when it's like they've come together and they're taking our stress away, and they're doing it for us. So uh, we're really thankful and grateful as a family. Wonderful, wonderful people. I wish you well, and I just yeah. want to tell our listeners that the link to donate is on lmfm.ie, right up there on our website. The link is there. Click on and do your very best. Wish you all well. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Ravia there. Uh, little Nihan's mum and uh, Jack Deshant who's outside Dáil Éireann five nights they're there with Joseph Garvey and Ross Kniff as well. We wish them well. That's a lot on late lunch today. Tomorrow on the show ahead of World Record Day on Saturday, Neil Waters is with us uh, from Classified Records. He's a nice little giveaway for you. I have my riddle on Friday. Nicky Kyle's in the gardening with your tasks for this month. Leon Blanche looks at the weekend in sport. We have worried about a nice bath challenge and music from Eugene Dunnigan and Mark Cahill. All coming up on Friday's late lunch. Do join us. Paul McGinnis coming next with The Drive and the Crew. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. See you Friday, 1.30. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. We have the biggest range of light commercials in the Northeast with same-day business finance, so let our van specialist Danny find a commercial vehicle to suit your requirements. See blackstonemotors.ie Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.